Like what it's is it? It's a, it's a hot fajita that just it's comes a, out and it's just sizzling. Attention seeking behavior, baby. If you yeah. order fajitas at a Mexican restaurant, you want all, all the world's eyes on you. Is you heard bad? it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. You're back in the team room. Hot take on uh, getting fajitas at a hot take on if, <laughs> Listen, if you get fajitas at a Mexican restaurant, you want the attention. That's attention seeking behavior. Is that, that stuff sizzles and comes out? Everybody's like, "Oh, what is that? Are they making no- Are they making guacamole oh, right at the side of the table? Fantastic! Oh, oh wow, man. do what, I want the fajitas? I can't have the fajitas. Are those the three different meats? The, the, does he have steak, chicken, and shrimp? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I love how you're always one, you're, you're a hair's breath away from going into Macho Man Randy Savage. You were like, oh, does he have steak, chicken, and shrimp? Ooh, oh, yeah. yeah. Ooh, brother. Cream rises That's, to the top. Except it's cojita cheese. The cojita cheese. <laughs> I like it. Anyway. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Aaron and I are hanging out, and we were just, you know, kind of pontificating about what the future fight is and what it looks like and how we can affect it and how you can affect it and all that kind of good stuff. So really a light topic. Definitely Se- don't need to navigate any kind of classification issues or, or sensitivities simple. or anything. No. Everybody's going to find it super interesting. Actually, we're doing this for two fans. I can't wait to see both of your responses in the comment <laughs> section. The reason that the reason that we're doing it guys, gals, cones and quitters is because, uh, Listen, we get a lot of questions that if you just, if you just understood kind of like the picture, right? If you over if you understand the, the the bigger overarching picture of what it is that we do in the military and how, you know, AFSOC works, you wouldn't have as many questions. You know, the silly questions like am I going to get to kick in doors or uh, am I going to be there in the future fight? Like you say these things, you know, it's not really well defined, right? Like the future fight. Like what what are we talking about? We're talking about the next conflict. We're talking about what are we going to do? Where do we think we're going to go on the world stage? These things have 10-year timelines. You guys hit us up in the comments and you're like, well, where's SR going to be in the future fight? What about combat control in the future fight? If you can't define those terms and you don't really know what you're talking about, well, then you're going to have a problem answering your own question. And that's always the goal here is to get you to answer your own questions because you all annoy us with your, with your consequence. That's a joke. That's a joke. Golly, relax. It's a joke. Relax. Easy. <laughs> it's a joke. So, Peaches, for you, when we when we say the future fight and we want to start talking about, like, hey, what are we actually planning for? What is the next conflict? Look at, like, 30,000-foot view. What are we planning for for the next conflict? So, I mean, we always have plans, right? They're, like, the, the Pentagon and, and certain um, combatant commands, all they already have you know, strategic level plans that, that are very, very, very classified and, and not touching that at all. But, um, it's, it's the kind of what we're, what we're planning for and what we're training for is the unknown because we don't know where the next conflict is. We, we have ideas. We, we pay attention to skirmishes, you know, in, in different locations. We pay a little attention to, you know, political, hostilities and, and coups and and all that kind of stuff um all the time you know we i don't know for sure but we probably had an idea that the whole U- ukrainian invasion was going to happen probably i mean i'm not in the probably, intel community but yeah probably you know. in 2014 when we replaced their government with one that was more yeah. amenable to us but i mean we <laughs> We probably knew then, but not, you know, anyway. Different podcast. <laughs> probably not this one. Right. 
Right. But we, yeah, but to your point, like we've been, we've been tracking those things, you know, Ukraine specifically, like we've been tracking, you know, those things. If you think that we just started like partnering with Ukraine out of nowhere and we're like, Oh, Hey, what's going on No, We've been doing exercises with Ukraine for 20 years, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years. So, so, it, so we're doing a lot of the training based off of that, but also for, for the unknown, because that's, that kind of goes into the whole, you know, physical fitness, general preparedness. I, I'm just training for life. I'm not training for one specific event, except for if you are training for the pipeline, you should be training for the pipeline. But that's, again, a different podcast. Um, so the way we kind of structure stuff, um, at least in my kind of realm right now, is we look at a couple different areas and a couple different assets that are out there, like different types of planes and different types of uh, terrain and, and threat environments and anti-aircraft stuff and that kind of thing. And we, we train and fight against that. And then we kind of r- reset and then we will train against that threat now. And, and we, we don't, yeah, we will do easier threats, but that doesn't really do us much good. Right. If if we're not training for the most difficult threat, then when we do see and engage with that threat, we're going to have a, a greater loss of life and a greater loss of resources and assets. So kind of we're we're training for the toughest fight. And I'm not gonna I, I won't name a country that we're we're shooting for, but you yeah. can probably, you know, we're training against our peer adversaries, our our uh pacing challenges, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the important, we don't have to name any country. You can call it country X because we've been doing this really since the beginning of modern warfare. What we're doing is we're taking country X with system Y that can cause us harm, whether it's a surface to air missile, whether it's some sort of new airborne platform, whether it's a new unit that they're using on the ground uh, with TTPs that can defeat ours. The only thing that we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, most likely scenario, if we go head to head with this asset with this threat with this adversary and then most deadly what what can they do that can deny us our ability to mass forces to make actual tactical movements to do all these things right so it's a it's a little bit of war gaming and it's a whole lot of trying to figure out exactly how to defeat those systems in real time right there's a difference between a bunch of really smart phds sitting in a room and going oh no we could totally do it by doing this and then getting that solution into the hands of the operator in the field that can actually make it happen so this may seem like a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter to ask spec war. It matters to you that's training for the pipeline, but just we'll feed you baby birds. Just follow this little string. Cause we're going to go all the way down into the weeds to get to where you are. But um, it's, it's not just training for like a, a no kid and kinetic fight though. Right. It is training for, you know, there's hatters, there's humanitarian aid and disaster relief. Uh, that's what hatter stands for folks. Um, you know, Boy, I sure hope I got that acronym right. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I love Boy. the second guessing. I love, yeah. I love the, I love the, oh no. Oh, did like, I get oh this no, right? I may have just messed that up. <laughs> um, anyway, so it, it could be things like that. You know, we, we will, that's why we have the, the J sets, the joint combined exchange training. Um, and, and why we hold exercises sometimes in the U S and it's not because to, um, train to, to, take over the u.s but like if you if you use hurricane katrina as an example or any of the the flooding that's that's held that's been happening here in vegas up in um mount charleston right mm-hmm. the uh, the national guard went in there to to get people out because the flooding has been so bad here um and that is you know 
Katrina, we, we practice those things stateside, but also in other countries with other countries because we're going to be helping them out. So it's, it's training to that kind of level as well. So could you call that a, a future fight? No, but it's, it's in a future incident or future event uh, that you need to be prepared for because the military is going to get called in on nearly everything. And when I say military, I mean National Guard as well. Like they, like that is the the total force um, that we can get called to go do that kind of stuff. Right. So when you see a lot of these changes happen, right? So when you see, well, we removed you know dive school from the combat control pipeline, or you know we decided that we're not going to do as much focus on J. We're still going to produce JTACs, but there's not the need for JTACs, so we're not going to have as many JTACs floating around, we're going to focus more on global access. When you see that, you're like, oh man, this is dumb. We don't even know what we're doing. That came from maybe 10 years of study of what it is that we need to do to evolve as a force that came with a long tail of people making decisions of this is the way that we're going. In the in the midstream, like Peaches is saying, you have these things that pop off, these af- you know avalanche rescues, you have hurricanes, you have earthquakes that happen. Like People forget that when the the earthquake hit San Francisco out in California in the eighties. The Moffat dudes showed up to that bad boy. You know, PJ showed up to that for confined space rescue. And, you know, we were at hurricane Katrina for everything. We went down to Haiti and, you know, the Fukushima nuclear reactor, you know, mm-hmm. special tactics responded to that bad boy. I got that airfield open back up. So as these things happen midstream, those are just kind of like folded in to our overall preparedness of where we're going. And you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about working with partner forces too. America can't, and my personal opinion, shouldn't be everywhere in the world policing everything all the time. There should be a whole coalition of partners. Now, they might not be as capable. Those partners should have to you know, hold their own for a little bit, but they should be able to hold their own for a little bit until you know, if they need our assistance, we can come in there and, and help them out. But just like we talked about in the soft truths, you know, check out the soft truth series. We went you know, soft truth one through five. This is sort of like the same thing. Like you can't make those relationships happen after an incident has occurred. You can't hope that they're just going to be okay. You have to back that up with training and you have to back that up. A plan has to evolve and say, okay, this country, like let's say, you know, country X is right next to country Y. Country Y is a bad actor. Country Y is somebody that is, you know, not in line with world stability. Easiest way to put it. Well, you have to get to country X and you have to say, hey, what happens if these guys come over here? What happens if there's a, you know, a mass casualty that you guys have to deal with? What happens if there's a natural disaster that puts you at a disadvantaged position? It's in our best interest to help country X. So we're going to go and we're going to exercise with country X and help them out and help them figure out exactly what it is that they need to do to protect, protect their own borders, protect their own people, make sure that they're okay. Because in the end, it benefits everybody. Yep. Yeah. And and I don't, I don't think you're going to find, like, if we're going to use disaster uh, in humanitarian aid, I don't think you're going to find anybody that's saying we shouldn't have gone into Fukushima to help out or Pakistan during an earthquake or Haiti or anything, you know, I don't think so. I mean, maybe there's probably some out there, but I mean, that's a righteous cause um, going and doing that. And, and, and to your point about, you know, the actual future fight and the training and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that is why we have the J sets. That's why we have, uh, your red flags. Yeah. There are some, um, for folks that out there, a flag is, is called an exercise or 
we call an exercise a flag, uh, at least on the Air Force side of the house. And there's there's green flags, red flags. The most famous one's probably uh, red flag. But, um, you know, and it's sometimes it's U.S. only. Sometimes it's a whole bunch of countries that they're focusing on a certain part of the, the world and, and that kind of stuff. So, like, this is these training events and these training exchanges are always happening um, just to ensure that everybody's staying kind of sharp and everybody's sharing information and tactics, techniques, and procedures. Yeah, for sure. What was some of the, uh, what was the best exercise you ever went on? Oh boy. Um, well the best, I mean, the best named exercise. (laughs) Yeah. And and the reason why I say name, not, not for you, named exercise for, for the folks out there, a named exercise means that it actually, it has a name that it's got a different funding stream and a different, um, desired learning objectives, that kind of stuff. Um, it was definitely one of the, the ones in Norway, probably cold response. Yeah. Cold response. Um, Yeah. It's huge. It's amazing. Partly because it's in Norway, right? Which right. is an amazing, amazing country, amazing people. But um, we did a lot, and just in when we were over in England together, like yeah. just on on island, um, yeah, with with the the Brits, um, German, KSK, like they they were great. Like there's so many of them now, especially after you know 24 years. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> there's a lot of them. I think uh, Jackalstone for me was a really, really good one. So we did a, just a bunch of fun stuff. So we, I mean, yeah. we did a, a ram jump. So it's R-A-M-B now, rigging alternate method boat. Um, but back in the day, they were called rams, rams drops. But we did a rams drop uh, into the Adriatic Sea. So that was great. Uh, the strongest operator on the face of the planet, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I watched him slip and fall to his back holding a... Uh, 55 horsepower engine and it just like landed on him. He just kind of like shook it off. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Of course he did. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, Hey, he picks this up when you mind taking this for me, brother. <laughs> hey, hey, brother. <laughs> uh, the other funny one I was going through my, uh, I was going through my fast rope master upgrade. So I was doing a training item. So I had to be very regimented in the way, like my hand signals, like everything that I was doing. And we're doing a, a bunch of iterations. We're on a 47, and I remember J Mac was actually instructing me. It was hilarious, but I just remember like, you know, I would clap my hands twice and I'd be like, Hey, and then I would pass this, you know, get everybody's eyes on me and then pass the whatever. Well, it became very, you know, very methodical. Well, I'm teaching a whole bunch of other nations soft. They may not speak uh, English, but they knew how to make fun of the, the instructor. So it became this thing where I would clap twice and I would say, Hey, and then they would clap twice and they would go, hey. what? <laughs> and then I would like give him my time call. It got to be really, really funny. Like it made it for one of the funniest training events. J Mac and I were laughing really, really hard by the end of it. The other thing that they were doing, uh, there was a call sign there, and I, there, there's a funnier back part of this story that I will not talk out loud because the the funnier back part of the story is slightly classified or slightly sensitive, I guess. There was an aircraft, and the call sign was Beast. Uh, one nine, right? It says beast one nine, you know, we're ready for pickup. Well, they, we are cycling through, you know, picking up these, you know, sister nation, uh, you know, soft dudes. And, uh, one of the European guys couldn't pronounce beast. He kept calling it beef one nine <laughs> and uh, beef one nine. We are ready for pickup beef. Uh, you can come in, pick up us now. It was hilarious because the pilot was not having it. He would correct him every single time. <laughs> On the beast. microphone, he'd be like, "Yes, this is beast." 
beast copies. We're going to come get you like a beast is on the way. Be like, okay, beef. Thank you. <laughs> I can't say for sure, but I, I was pretty positive by the end. That guy was doing it on purpose. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Excuse me, beef. Come pick us up now. <laughs> it was just, it was the funniest thing of all time, but we learned a lot on uh, you know, Jackal stone. That was, that was awesome. Tooling around with those guys working with the Polish Grom. So yeah. their snipers were ridiculous, like absolutely well, ridiculous. They're just jumpers out. too. Yeah, oh yeah. I, rem- I remember, like, you want to talk about just fun kind of things is something sensitive kind of politically, you know, clocks off, right? Um, and then we, like, because, you know, when we were in the hall, we were, we were almost always on a some kind of alert window. And so we went over to Poland for like a week or two and just jumped our asses off. That, that was our only job. Just go over there, jump, work with the Polish Grom, and and these dudes. And it was bad weather; it was winter time, and and these dudes would thousand feet, bad weather, right in the clouds. They're like, "I'm gonna get out of here," you know. And, and it sounds crazy to think about, like somebody just goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna get out of here," but they had the ramp down, um, starting at like a thousand feet, just to go up, just to see where there would be holes in the weather. And they were over, and they're like. Yeah, this is good. This is good. I'm just going to get out. And it just fucking disappears. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, dude. Come on. <laughs> my my favorite story about that is uh, we were in Norway and we were going to uh, do a free fall jump. So you and I got to do the static line jump out of the frozen mm-hmm. lake, which is pretty sweet. But there was a free fall jump that was supposed to go off too. And the Norwegians were super amped up about having an American jump master do it. So they wanted CA to do it. So they have slightly different rules, right? Uh, so we're talking about it, and he's like, he looked outside. I mean, it's winter time in Norway, and he looks and looks at the sky. He's like, "There's no way that you're going to be able to see anything. There's no, you know, we're going to fly up to negative, you know, negative fifty ambient temperature at ten thousand feet for us to open a door and look out and see that there's nothing but a cloud deck." And they're like, "Well, no, our regulations say that um, we can jump as long as we have a working GPS and that the cloud cover isn't under th- uh, three thousand feet." Those are, those are their regulations, right? So he's like, okay, well, we can't do that. We have to see the PI. And it was funny because one of the Norwegian jump masters looked at him and was like, do you not trust your instruments? Do you not trust <laughs> the GPS and the airplane and the people on the ground with the radios that'll tell you that it is okay? <laughs> and, and he's just like, listen, it's the regulation. So we all go up with him to jump anyway. And uh, so he's going he's gonna to JM their thing. <laughs> he opens the door and it is just, it is just, solid clouds like you cannot see anything the plane was flying above the clouds but at like five thousand feet there was just this thick layer of clouds like absolute blanket you could not see anything so you know he's given all the time signals he's communicating with the aircraft these guys have these rucks that they stand up you know full speed like full stance you know these things are like two inches off the ground all they have to do is kind of like relax their shoulders and the rucks are sitting on the ground so like in order for them to walk, they just like stand up as tall as they can and then waddle to the <laughs> to the back of the ramp. So the green light comes on where they're over. You know, CA does his last check and he looks out and he looks at the guy like the GPS is on. <laughs> you know, the, the aircraft, they've got good comms with the ground. Everything's good, but he can't see anything. So the Norwegians are super excited, like chomping at the bit like, yeah, baby, let's go. He gave the funniest, uh, the funniest jump master go. Like normally, uh, you know, the jump master goes are very like to your left shoulder, and then you point out the door, looking at the green light, only the green light, holding it there until the green light is on. You know, blah blah blah. He like looked out. He looked at the clouds. He looked at the first jump. He's like, 
I don't know. Yeah, I guess go. <laughs> and they just bounced and it was fine. They, uh, yeah. you know, they get out, and they open up, uh, under canopy where they're supposed to, they land on their intended target. It was great. Like those guys were professionals too, but just but that's the story what they're of, used to though. Yeah. Right. Because exactly. if, if they, if they waited for perfect weather in Norway to jump, they would never, never jump. jump. Yeah. So it's, it's, they it's a forcing a mechanism for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh hilarious just the, the absolute just a shoulder shrug just like eh, i mean yeah, i guess yeah. okay yeah go ahead if you want to go <laughs> yeah so as a guy that spent you know 24 years preparing for the future fight and getting ready for the next thing all the time and then not necessarily knowing what's going on like you've seen a bunch of different stuff happen throughout your career how do you stay motivated to continue to train for something that you don't know you kind of mentioned it earlier with physical fitness which which kind of prime this question for me but you know people that do crossfit the biggest uh you know kind of the biggest thing for them is like what am i training for you know if you're not a crossfit yeah. games athlete it, it gets hard to stay motivated so how did you stay motivated um so uh, it's probably a little different for for you and i or you and me uh versus the other folks coming in because we uh, we always had a a no kidding goal like it was right deploy return rest refit <laughs> Train, 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 deploy. So it's a little different now, um, but that's okay. It's not. It's not like it's it's worse or, or better. Um, it just means that you've got to look for things in in the <laughs> kind of real world events that are going on. Things that are kind of heating up and go like, "Ooh, I wonder what threats do they have? Mm-hmm. What challenges do they have? Like terrain wise um, threats." And, and, and kind of trained to that. Um, it's, it's a motivation. And, and a lot of it is, I'd say it's more of a dedication than a motivation because motivation wanes. Mm-hmm. Whereas dedication goes like, I have to be ready. And that's the, dude, that is one of the, the kind of terrible feelings is when the, the alert balloon goes up and you're like, Oh shit. I, I had unpacked this or I'm doing laundry or I'm, I'm not 100% ready because we would always have bags packed and ready to go alert bags so mm-hmm. that you could just go into the cage, grab them and go. Or if you were TDY someplace else, you could tell somebody, go in my cage, grab, you know, bag AB and Delta. Yeah, exactly. And, and throw it and just throw it into the ISU and we're going. Um, we've all had that point where it's kind of happened and you're like, dude, I'm not 100% ready right now. Um, and it's a, it's a, not a great feeling because <laughs> right. you feel so far behind the power curve. So it's, it's always being ready and you're not, you know, it's, so it's a dedication to always being ready physically, yeah. having, having your things ready to go. Um, that's, that's kind of what I said. It's, a, I wouldn't say it's a motivation because there are times where it's just like, dude, uh, another one or yeah, right. Another alert. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause it just, cause you're going on alert doesn't mean you're actually going to go. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, I think that's why we, we put so much of a focus on physical fitness too, because you don't have a time machine. Like when that flag goes up, if you've been slacking on your physical fitness, if you aren't ready to rise to a challenge, like there's, you're a liability to the team at that point. Like that's why we put so much of an effort, um, you know, to put in the time, the work, the dedication to physical fitness is not to pass, you know, tests. It's not to look the part. It's because at any given time, you know, there's a team right now that could be getting a call over here in the Pacific Northwest that there's somebody that's no kidding hurt, you know, at the top of Mount Rainier and they got to mm. go get them. And they're the only people that can, 
you know, that is not very far out of the realm of possibility. You know, there's, you, if Vegas gets a little bit worse, you know, the Vegas, you know, rescue teams could have to go and get into a dirty swift water scenario, which is the toughest that one of the toughest things to do, right? Like oh, that will, dude. that will kill you. If you don't pay attention, you know, for one second, uh, you can, you can find yourself really hurting. And if you're not in your, your top physical condition, if you're not ready to go all the time, then you were going to be found wanting. And that is a, that is a bad feeling. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, the dudes that uh, right after nine eleven happened, they were the first ones outdoor climbing up mountains. Dude, they weren't they weren't ready for that. Mm-mm. Not unless yeah. they were the the JBLM crew, the two two crew that happened right. to be doing mountains frequently. Just the all dudes the time. out at Herbert Field, flat terrain. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. North Carolina, flat terrain. Seventh like, year, you know, baby. Yeah. So, like, you know, you always got to be prepared, and and that's kind of the the crux of it and that's that's not just about physicality that's about training wise too you should be sharp shooter and i don't mean sharp shooter as in like a sniper i'm talking about like your basic core shooting skills not air force qualification i'm talking about like actual operator type shooting you need to be proficient at it you need to be proficient at manipulating your weapon going from primary to your secondary transitions like that is basic stuff knowing how to work your radios properly. We used to practice so much that I say we used to, golly, that sounds like such a boomer thing. (laughs) But dude, I I can't do it now. But I was at a point where um, I could do manipulate the radio and change the frequencies or change settings without looking at it. Because it would be someplace where I couldn't reach it or, you know, I don't want to do a light and it was just, you know, kind of like the old texting where you could text a, a phone me- or a text message without looking at the phone. Oh yeah. T nine um, word, baby. Yeah. That was, so that was you could just best. like, you know, and, um, that was, that was a, a form of readiness, you know, you could, so it's, it's doing that kind of stuff, but that's, that's how we would, we would do that kind of thing. <laughs> well, people, I, I think people misunderstand too. I think there's a misconception too of, you know, once you get to be a special operator, you get out of the pipeline, you get onto your team, like everything is going to be high tech. You know, you're not going to do, you know, whatever, dude, it is so much fundamentals. I mean, it is, it is fundamentals all the time. My main food group as a team sergeant doing anything was that hip pocket training. Like if you're sitting around and we have, you know, we're not doing anything. Okay, great. Go get two litters and we're going to see who can open up these two litters the fastest. Go get two SCEDCOs and we're going to see how many people, like two, we're going to see which team of folks can get their casualty into a SCEDCO as fast as we possibly can and then get off target. Like that's the, that's the game. You'd be surprised and you could do that with everything. Program one frequency on a radio and get a radio check. Disassemble your M4, put it back together. Like see see how long it's going to take. Like you can do those things all day. You know, set up a single, set up a, a 117 and get a sat shot out. Like, those are the things that actually matter because when, you know, the world is blowing up around you, those are the little things that will actually save your team's life. Getting a casualty into a SCEDCO and getting away from an area, that's a, that's a survival skill, essentially. Like, you, your team needs to be able to do that. Getting that radio call out, that's a survival skill. You need to be able to do that. Well, and how many dudes, when you do that hip pocket training, go like, oh, man, I, I just did this last week. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to do this. And it's like, dude, you're saying that because... You, you're uncomfortable with this, right? Like this should not be a, a dude, I'm good. I'm good. Kind of thing. It should be a like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Freaking here. There you here's go. my 10 we, seconds that yeah. I spent on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you set? Was, are, are, yeah. We're good now. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. I always love that too. I, I love the, uh, the litter setting up an Israeli litter because people will be like, Oh, I gotta set this thing up again. Okay. But it took you a minute and a half. Like it yeah. shouldn't take you a minute and a half to do that. That's, you know, probably a 10 second drill, you know, throw the litter out, twist the handles, kick it, call it good. But uh, I love watching people struggle with that. I don't know why, but there's a little part of my heart that just, it makes me laugh. All right. Don't, don't come to Vegas asking me to set one up though. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. <laughs> it's, it's I'll program the shit out of radio right now, though. I surprised the guys uh, a couple months ago when I was out of the range. I was a little rusty for sure. Um, but I, you know, busted out radio. I mean, once you get it in your, once you know how to manipulate radios, it comes pretty natural. Mm-hmm. But cast cadence and doing casts, it can get a little rusty. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all terrible skills. Yeah. I mean, it's just like anything else. It's medicine, it's ropes, it's, it's anything we do. So the only way to be prepared is to constantly invest in yourself and invest in those skills. You know where I would invest in myself if I was getting ready to go to the pipeline? Features? Where's that? I'd go to attackly.com. I'd actually Ooh. go over to our site, onesready.com, and you can find all of the attackly gear. But if you go over to attackly.com, more power to you. I'm happy to send you to their website as well. You get everything you need to train for the pipeline. You can get it in a single pack if you want to go... Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer, you want to go PJ, Marsoc, Ranger. They've got stuff for first responders. They got tactical watches over there. They basically have everything you need. You can use our code ones ready at checkout, get a sweet discount. If you don't want to have to type in a code at checkout, guess what? You just go to our store, you pick out what you want, you grab your stuff from Atacly, and on you go. Ready for the future fight, which is what we're talking about in this episode. So go over to uh, attackly.com, check them out, use our code ones ready at checkout, or go over to onesready.com. And check out all the attack league gear, which is on our website as well. Yeah, man, it's one of the one of the few places you're going to be able to find the the high volume masks, uh, masks of snorkel that the guys are actually using in the pipeline. So, um, you know, the whole train how you're going to fight kind of thing. Um, I, I understand. Well, you might be fighting for your life, <laughs> for your <laughs> life, sonny. Yeah, but uh, I mean, that's who am I to say that you're fighting for your life? But uh, maybe but you're yeah. just, maybe you're really good at it, and maybe you yeah. uh, maybe you're really good at it. And you're not fighting for your life, or maybe you're terrible in the water, and it's a fight every day. But either way, <laughs> they got the stuff you need. Either way, they got the high volume mess to help you practice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And those things are surprisingly hard to find too, just as an aside. That's what I'm like, saying. That's what yeah. that's why it's like, hey man, this is the one place that you can go to that has the exact same mask. Right. So Yeah. There's a bunch of CCT and SR candidates out there right now. Sad boy hours. They're gonna go buy that mask just not to get a bubble. That's gonna be tight. That's gonna be tight. Sorry, boys. Sorry. <laughs> PJ candidates, don't uh don't worry, you're good. I actually got asked on a podcast about dive school um, being removed, and or, Man, or let, you know, let's just go, least. baby. How how you feeling about it? Like Trent and I talked about it yesterday. Like we we kind of hit it more from the angle of like, you know, I, I've never seen anything like that. Obviously, you know, the internet is the internet. So uh, you know, we put out the dive episode where we talked about you know what we thought was going to happen, and you know that was obviously wrong right away because generals do be general and. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're they're just doing wild stuff. But how are you feeling about it? So I I put it in the same vein as um, being critical and being critical of leadership, mm-hmm. right? Uh, of DOD leadership, our civilian leadership. Um, just like people should be critical of me, right? And and me and the commandant of the weapons school, like you should be critical of what of decisions that we make and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. 
However, I'm, I would say that there are probably variables in that equation that drove them to make that decision that I am not privy to, that I'm just not aware of. However, with that say, I would love to see the whole equation. I'd love to see all the variables because if I had to, I, I, what I've been told is it's a, a funding and a resourcing issue that it's cheaper to cut it. Um, I would, I would love to see those numbers because I would think, I would actually argue that it's probably not cheaper or if it is, it's, it's nominal. Um, because it's not that much money to, to send somebody to dive school. It is not that much money. If you already have a dive program at a unit, it is not that much money to maintain that program. Now it sure as hell is if you need to start one up. Because mm-hmm. now you're already behind. Now you got to buy all that equipment, and now it becomes expensive. Um, and you can't say that there's not a real world. You know, take take the the combat dive in, insertion and infill in out of it. What about just the humanitarian side of it? Like right. How many times have has Aspect War been asked to dive to do body and equipment recovery? Okay. I think you were over in England at the same time we did it in that river mm-hmm. um, during that winter, yep. right? We did it off the coast of Devon, off the UK, I think, mm-hmm. as well. Looking Ever heard for, of the Thai rescue? Ever heard of the yeah. Thai cave rescue? Anybody? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, that that was chump. That was easy. It was a walk in the park. <laughs> they, they only made Ses- three movies Sesame about street it. Street bullshit. Um, <laughs> Um, they only made three movies about it. And the only yeah. reason that was successful and like, I'll say it for them. Like, I don't think the guys on the ground would say it, but if it was not for air force special tactics and their diving expertise, that would not have gone the way that it went. Yeah. Like they would have had, they would have had people, they would have had more people die because people did die, um, in that, you know, in that rescue attempt. So, yeah. So I, I just, I don't agree with it. Like flat out. I don't agree with it. But I'm also holding a bit of reservations, just going like, okay, maybe they know something that, that, that I don't. And, and that's valid because there's a lot of things that I don't know or that I'm not privy to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is what we have been told and that it's a, a funding and resourcing, I'm, I, I'd have to see those numbers because I don't agree with that. Yeah. I'd like to um, see the math too. Right. But, but again, if it's something else, like, okay, well, we should probably put that out. I, I say we like because it, it's not Aaron, <laughs> Aaron and I that know the know what it is. Right. But like, if you want to kind of not silence the herd, but just kind of like, hey guys, let's like let us settle, and here's why we made that decision. Mm-hmm. That'd probably go over really well. I would think it would too. And I think that's what people are frustrated with mm-hmm. is the you know the non explanation. Just like, hey, we're going to do this. It came out via so everything moves at the speed of social media now. Um, so I, I get it. Like stuff breaks, text messages get leaked, and then all of a sudden people are in a tizzy and they feel like, oh, you didn't tell us this fast enough. But is there a way that they could have gotten ahead of it? Is there a way that they could put this out in a more deliberate manner? I think that answer is probably yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this stuff again, just like the plans that we were talking about early in this in this podcast. This stuff didn't happen overnight. This wasn't a couple conversations. Like this is months or years worth of a conversation that's been ongoing. So you would think like, okay, when it gets, when it gets close to that point where somebody's going to make a decision, right? Somebody's going to slap a table and say, 
all right, yeah, we're definitely doing this. You would think that they would have the foresight to go, okay, this is going to go live here in, let's say, a week. Here's the memo that we're putting out. You could even make a short video. This is going to be crazy, but you could actually like get your messaging out via the appropriate PAO channels, and you could actually explain to the force, you guys are going to hear that this school is going away. Here's our reasoning. Hopefully, you guys can fall in line for this one, and it yeah. would save all of the drama. Well, and that's and that's not to say that every decision that is made should be, um, you know, go through public affairs no. and, and should be messed to the force. Shouldn't pre- it shouldn't not- have a press release. Right. We don't have time yeah. for all. We're that, not but- saying that. What we're saying is, is that when when a massive cultural decision is made like this, that is definitely going to be emotional because. Aspect war are a bunch of emotional freaking people. Oh, yeah. We are. And, and I like say to say we're, we're I like to say we're passionate. That's a nice was, way of was, saying yeah, I was we're a bunch say of more passionate. Yeah. But but like we there are certain things that we hold near and dear to us because they mean a lot to us. And the reason why they mean a lot to us is because we have had people die next to us doing that kind of stuff. That's why it's emo, uh, emotional and passionate for us. Right. So, you know, no, not everything needs to be a press release or a video or a, a tweet or whatever, you know, from, from the top. But, you know, on certain things that, that we are very close to, to both of, I say both the geos, but the, the kind of decision makers and the general officers that are involved in this, like that would have been pretty easy. So, right. and it goes back to being critical of leadership. Like I would tell them that to their face. Um, and, and, and I hope, I hope they see this and, and notice that. And I, and I will like, I would happily tell this to them very respectfully. You know, it's, sure. I don't think anything that you have said or I have said is, is disrespectful. Um, and, and it's about accountability, right? Like if, if I did something wrong or I messaged something incorrectly or didn't message something or made a poor decision, or I made a decision that was unpopular, then I need to be held accountable about my my poor messaging of it or my handling of the situation or whatever like i i get held accountable all the time as mm-hmm. i should because guess what i'm gonna hold the e4 accountable i'm gonna hold that text art accountable so why can't i be held accountable right it's tough Boy, that it's went a off on one. a tangent <laughs> no, that's, that's the <laughs> got him got him uh, but i think that's the point man and i think that's what people are looking for i think that's you know the other part of this too and and people will will you know lump things into into buckets that they don't belong right so when people look at this scenario they're like oh great another thing that they're trying to cover up or oh great another thing yeah. that they're trying to do like it sure it might be that i can't say that it's not i wasn't i wasn't personally involved in the decision i don't personally know the people i don't defend people i don't personally know or decisions that i wasn't a part of so dude i don't know Sure, maybe maybe it was, or maybe well, okay, maybe they just did a bad job of communicating it, and you're looking for boogeymen that don't exist. Maybe, yeah. I and and I don't want people to think I'm I'm defending. I'm saying that there it kind of goes along. There are three. You know, when you hear somebody you know bitching about their freaking partner or, or, or a friend of theirs, and understand that there are three sides to every stories story. Yours, theirs, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Right. Right. So like, and, and no, I don't necessarily think that, that some of these general officers are out to get us. I, I like, I don't think that mm-hmm. that would, that would be very malicious. 
I mean, and that's not to say that there aren't general officers that are very malicious. There are just as easily, if if not more, probably E9s that are more malicious than right. some or, or just straight up incompetent. Like or incompetent. That, that's the yeah. The the, the uh, old Dan Holloway. So shout out to Dan Holloway and Citizen Pod, but Hanlon's razor. You know, Hanlon's razor is assume incompetence before you assume maliciousness because people yeah. are most likely incompetent and not probably malicious. Uh, malicious. You know. Um, yeah, there there are people out there that just don't know what they don't know, and they're making what they think is the best decision. And it's very easy to look at those decisions and go, "Oh my God, you're actively trying to under- undermine this thing that I'm working on." And when in reality, they're just like, "No, I just I just made this decision." It's because they're incompetent. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, they're they're making decisions. Okay, so you have incompetence. You have making decisions based off of the information that they have, right? Like, I'm a fan of an eighty percent solution. Like, mm-hmm. go forward. Again, that there's 20% of error in there too, or guessing that that could happen, right? But it's like we've gotten to a point of where we assume malicious intent, everything. Like, mm-hmm. take, take for example, the, the two things right now classified documents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are three, three recent events. You have um, former President Trump, right? You got current President Biden, and then you have the Discord leak, right? I'm yep. just going to use those three. Do you really think, and does anybody out there, apparently some people do, you and I have handled a lot of classified data. Do you think for one second that President Trump or President Biden physically carried boxes of classified documents into their garage or into their house in Mar-a-Lago? Absolutely not. Right. There is, right. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't ever touch those things. Right? Like, why am I picking up a box? <laughs> right. He's the president. Now, do <laughs> right? I do I think Trump was like, oh, that's a great letter. It was the best letter that was ever written yeah. to me. Put it in a box. Like, do I do I think that he kept it because he liked it? Yes, a hundred percent. Like, I think President Trump probably did that. You know, do I think you know President Biden for the same reason over his fifty year career in politics? Do do I think that he's got a collection of things that he thought was cool that also happened to be classified? Yeah, I do. Right. But it was, it was a, probably in somebody from the Intel community that is, or, or aides that are carrying those boxes in to like, it's, it's not him just freaking filing it and like, Ooh, look at that. And then put, you know, so, but people are assuming malicious intent and that's all political and I got all that right now. When you start talking about purposeful discord leaks, right, that is malicious. Mm-hmm. That is somebody who is trying to get cloud and trying to go like, Hey, look at this is, this is what I got. This is cool. Check this out. Like, look how important I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having malicious intent. Like I think there, those are two different kind of things. Um, so I try and apply the same kind of Hamlin's razor or whatever you want to call it, uh, to, uh, orders or, or decisions that are made at the top. Like, okay. Yeah. That was a bad decision. What information that they have, and also don't think that there aren't these general officer staff. You know, there there's O four majors, there's there's O five lieutenant colonels. Um, you know, and on the navy side, there's you know commanders, lieutenant commanders, captains, all that kind of stuff that are that all these filters and they're they're all, all putting their own bias on things, and all that data is getting fed to these decision makers. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, so a lot of times it's being like they're getting skewed data 
And, and I, I'm saying that because I saw it. I was, right. I was on staff with uh, Admiral Howard. I was on staff with General Clark, like seeing how people are putting their, are skewing data or skewing information to, to either not hide data, but just their own. And, and maybe it wasn't, um, maybe it wasn't malicious. It was just like, Hey, this is how I perceive that data. And my background being Air Force special tactics and Air Force special warfare or my background being an army green beret or a Navy SEAL. And, 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 you know, they have their own personal biases and that's how they shape and understand the, the data that's being passed and they pass it forward. And then you take, you know, an Admiral Howard who is a SEAL, you take a General Clark who was a, a Ranger, you take a, um, you know, and you can go on and on and, and they have their own personal bias and they're making decisions that way. It's just, we're humans. We fuck up. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's no, and there's no way to get around it. It's just one of those things. And yep. The military system rolls on, baby, because we got other stuff that we got to do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Boy, brother. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, brother. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, brother. Boy, we went off on a tangent there. We really mm. did. You know what? But it was a good one. I'm so, happy about it. I was, yeah, I was <laughs> excited about it. Um, and then we'll we'll see where the whole dive school thing goes. We'll see. You know, it's out of the pipeline for now. I think that's official messaging at this point. So we'll see how it goes from there, and we'll see what it looks like for controllers eventually getting that dive uh that dive bubble further on in their career if they need it that's going to be another set of challenges so all mm -hmm. in all that just means that you got to be constantly physically ready to go to that dive school and be ready to go i think that's actually going to be a an unintended secondary benefit an unintended second uh, order consequence of the dive school getting moved on later in dudes careers is Man, you better be uh better be hitting that pool. Better be getting in that water a lot more often than you are now, because it's different than just training for the OFT. It's different than just taking that fifteen hundred meter fin swim. Like you're gonna have to do some water confidence mm -hmm. uh, training stuff. Man, I will say though, it does make my little heart happy. Like sometime in the near future, at a two series, you know, coming near you, there are gonna be grown operators that have been in the career field for a little while. They're gonna be sitting on a pool deck and they're gonna be going, dang it back here again here we go <laughs> getting ready for a pool session Ooh, get it that's gonna that's gonna hit differently as the kids would say oh boy yeah <laughs> how you feel with the water con session right now you want to you want to hit the pool no <laughs> <laughs> i love it hey I what do you it. think what i mean this is a peek behind the curtain right like maki from um you know, deep in fitness out here mm -hmm. in Vegas has mm -hmm. invited me to come out and he's like, dude, come on out anytime. And I have yet to be out. And the reason you know why? why is because you have, am, your, you have your dive bubble. You're, you don't have to hold your breath underwater anymore. Yeah. That's what the dive bubble means. It means that you can breathe underwater. Therefore, you don't have to hold your breath underwater anymore. That's why. And I haven't been there yet. Be, well, one, because <laughs> of time and my travel schedule. Right. But two is like, I need to get a couple breath holds in in the pool first. <laughs> like... At least, at least to be able to comfortably make a twenty-five meter underwater. Bro, I, I took a long drink of water that I didn't take a full breath like when I normally do, and my heart rate went up to one eighty. <laughs> like, like I don't know what to tell you, man. I was yeah. just chugging water. Some some water got in my throat. I cr I quit right away. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, you know I, I got to do Prime and Don and Maki Proud showing up to a, one of their events. I Heck can't yeah. just roll in some geek off the street. <laughs> some you, you got to be handy with a snorkel, you know what I mean? Earn your keep. 
Yeah, that seems that seems like a good place to end it, Peaches. Yeah, man. Well, we we did go off on a tangent. We at least got thirty minutes uh, by the notes. We at least got thirty minutes talking about the future fight, and then we went off on dive school. So, yeah, and and military leadership. So it'll be interesting to see. Not that any of them listen to it, but if you guys decide to turn me in and narc narc on me, we'll see what uh, we'll, we'll see if I freaking get any phone calls. Which again, I'm happy to have. I run into the the one general that everybody's. Um, pointing fingers at it. I actually see him quite a bit because he's out at Nellis a lot. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. He is he is he is in the weeds. So it would not surprise me if he gets this clip. But again, I I didn't I didn't trash you. I'm just saying like, <laughs> hey, just we saying, got here's messaging. some feedback. Could have been You're better. Just feedback. Yeah, it's just feedback. He, baby. I, That's he it. would hold me accountable. So yep. I'm I'm holding him accountable. And that's it, baby. So like and subscribe for more. We uh, we might be targets. We might be providing feedback. Who knows? It's exciting. But the only way that you're going to figure that out is by following what we do. So go over to onesready.com. Follow us on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. We don't engage on there a whole lot. If you leave us a comment on there, it hits our Instagram uh, uh, message box. So that's, that's pretty tight. Thanks, Meta. Uh, and yeah, check out onesready.com. Make sure to check out Attack Lead for all your training needs. And that's it for this one. Yeah, man. All right. Later.